Good to see everyone here. We're going to jump, as Pastor Yasmin mentioned, back into our series, Teach Us to Pray, which is based around a uh, passage in Luke chapter 11. And so feel free to go there if you want. But uh, before we go there, I'll just uh, begin just by introducing the section today. We're going to be continuing to look at what it is that we have a heavenly Father. Now, Jesus in this portion gives us this word, Father, to pray. Gives us a picture of our Heavenly Father. He personalizes it and brings the language of family here to prayer life. Now, in the year 2022, we, we hear that and we think, okay, yeah, we've heard that before. That's, yeah, okay, awesome. Love it. And we do think it's awesome. think it's great. But this would have been so unique to think of God as a father in this culture and at this time. We cannot underestimate what it would have been like for them to hear Jesus say, this is how you start your prayer. Father, up until this point, only the great high priests got to speak to God or approach God. Uh, approaching God was only for important people, was only for religious people, only for certain people. And now Jesus is not only giving access to all of us to approach God here, but he tells us to call him Father. And so we can't minimize how much of a shift in thinking that would have been to the people that Jesus was speaking to in this time. He gave them a radical new way to see God. And so in Luke chapter 11 and verses 1 and 2, we read this. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Father, hallowed be your name. I like how the disciples ask him, can you teach us to pray in a similar way that, you know, John the Baptist taught his uh, disciples too. Can you teach us to pray? So I have to ask us the question, and I don't want an, an audible response necessarily, but just in your own mind, what do you think of, that, that, that slide's a little early, I'll explain that in a little bit, okay? But uh, we can go back to the last one. Uh, but he personalizes, sorry, I'm lost now. <laughs> so prayer, what is prayer to you? <laughs> what do you think of when you think of prayer? Is prayer just bringing a shopping list to God? Is prayer just coming before God and saying sorry for a bunch of stuff that you weren't supposed to do? Um, prayer takes different forms. It takes all kinds of different ways, but Jesus has given us a model for how to do it. And he says, this is how you should pray. And he doesn't leave us wondering. He doesn't say, well, you know, you could do it like this and that. He says, this is how you should pray. And he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now back to that picture, okay? <laughs> when I was younger, I played hockey, okay? Now I blame my wife for putting my little picture up there because I didn't know she was going to do that. But um, I played hockey. And uh, one thing I remember fondly uh, playing hockey is that my dad was pretty much at almost every game that I ever played. And I, I'm not lying when I say that. Like literally he was always there. I could probably count on a hand or maybe just over a hand how many games that he ended up missing. And it was just interesting knowing that, you know, my dad would be in the corner there kind of cheering me on. You know, he wasn't too loud or obnoxious or anything like that, but he just enjoyed coming out. He just enjoyed being there. 
Pastor John talked last week about how, as he's gotten older, some of the things he enjoys the most is just spending time, quality time with his kids, having conversation. And that if there's any way he could help them in his own capacity, there's nothing he wouldn't do to help his kids. And as I was thinking about this, this thought of father, this thought came to my mind. My dad used to just come and take us to sports and kind of spend time with us. I know when my daughter gets home from school, one of the, my favorite things to ask her is, what did you learn today? Because the answer is always awesome and usually cute and ridiculous and all that and all in one, right? And kids just have an amazing way of being fascinated about things that we think are just kind of everyday things. But um, when I was younger, I remember my dad just always being at the rink, always kind of being in that one corner watching me. And I get that we all come from different situations in life, and I get that we all can't be at every game, but that's just the situation that we had and that I was able to have. Um, I, I, as a kid, I wasn't sitting there like, oh, I'm just so happy my dad's here. I, it just, I, just, I, I wasn't really like that. I just kind of just expected him to be there, and that's kind of how it was. Um, in some ways, I found comfort probably knowing that he was there. And when I think back to playing hockey, the games that I probably can specifically remember the most are some of the ones that he wasn't there for. Um, I just remember just feeling a little different that night, you know, like almost like I had some freedom or something. I don't know, but it was just a little different. Um, him being at the rink just seemed to affect my comfort level on the ice. Now hold that story for a second, because tonight we're going to talk about the names of God. And the reason we want to review and look at the names of God is because you cannot hold something as hallowed that you don't know, okay? You cannot hold someone as hallowed that you don't know. And so the names of God point us towards who God is and what the written word has revealed about him. And so today we're going to look at three names of God. The first name we're going to look at is Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. Say Shammah. There you, some of you said it. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, the Lord is there. And this uh, is found in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 48, and verse 35. It says, And the name of the city from that time on will be, The Lord is there. The Lord is there. Jehovah Shammah. You see, the last verse of this entire book concludes with giving this name of God. Now, we need to have some context for the book of Ezekiel. Why did this come up? Well, some context is, is that the atmosphere and the time in which this was written was not good. It was a bad time. The city and the temple were in captivity. It was in ruins, essentially. And God's people were hoping and they were yearning for a restoration of all things. But the present time that we find ourselves in here is not good. And so God gives Ezekiel prophet a vision and promise that his people would be restored and the city and temple will be rebuilt and the name of the city of restoration and hope was was a name given in Ezekiel 48:35 and that name is Jehovah Shammah there you go the Lord is there you see i find great comfort in this name of God because i find comfort in his presence knowing that he's always with us. Maybe in a similar way, how I found some comfort just knowing my dad was at the rink sometimes when I was playing a game, it's far more amazing to know that in everything and in everywhere I go, everywhere I am, that my heavenly father is Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. Now, some of us would say a big amen to that and say, I get that. But does, how does that affect how we live? And does how we live reflect this. Are you continually 
aware throughout your day of God's presence? Are you aware of it? I think sometimes we can find ourselves falling into what is known as dualism, where we treat life as if there is a spiritual and faith side to life, and then on the other hand, there's this normal day-to-day existence, you know, at, uh, at work um, or at home or while you're out socially. And we create this divide sometimes between the two. And we call them something like sacred and let's use the word secular, okay? And we think that, we think, well, you know, when I'm at church, well, that's a very, that's a very sacred time. You know, neighborhood groups, when I attend my group, that's sacred, Worship time is sacred. That's times when I'm spending time with God. And then we label going to work as a secular activity or going to a game to watch a sports game as something secular. And we develop develop these compartments about how life is divided and different. And I think when we do this, we do a disservice to ourselves because our life was never meant to be divided into two different realities. You see, the ancient Hebrews never thought of life this way. They didn't even have a word for the word spiritual necessarily. Because to them, all of life was spiritual. Everything had a spiritual dimension. Our belief about God and his actions in the world don't just affect my thoughts and my opinions, but they affect everything about my life. They affect everything that I do, from simple things like, you know, sitting for a cup of coffee, to how we work, to how we live among other people, to how we treat others at work, if we're in charge, to how we treat those who are below us, right? To how we um, go about just the day-to-day things, to how we even behave at a church service. There's no separation between the sacred and the secular. Everything is sacred because we serve and are among Jehovah. Shema, the Lord is there. God is present. Brother Lawrence wrote a book that was quite famous called Practicing the Presence of God. And uh, one of the ways in which he lived his life was to never go minutes without thinking of God's presence. And as he cooked and as he worked in the kitchen, he remembered that throughout his day he can enjoy fellowship, he can enjoy communion with God. And he wrote this. He said, The most holy and necessary practice in our life is the presence of God. That means finding constant pleasure in his divine company, speaking humbly and lovingly with him in all seasons, at every moment without limiting the conversation in any way. You see, Brother Lawrence, I think, tapped into something here, and in his life made it his pursuit, something that we can easily miss, and that's just this, that no matter where you go, God is there with you, and you can enjoy his company in that moment. And so how we behave at work or while we're out shopping or, you know, you name this scenario, wherever you're at, you're not absent of the presence of God. If Christ lives in you, if you understand that the Lord is there, even in the seemingly mundane, I think it transforms sometimes what are careless moments and it makes them holy moments. It takes what you may label as an unspiritual activity And it becomes spiritual because Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. 
and present in everything. You see, Jesus said it to us like this in the New Testament. He said in John 28, verse 20, and these are the last words he left in the book of Matthew. Sorry, I said John, in the book of Matthew. It says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Surely I'm with you sometimes. No, he didn't say that. Surely I'm with you when you mess up. No, surely I'm with you when things are tough. No, it says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, we read this phrase at the end of this. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. That's great advice. Because God had said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you? You see, God's presence is with us through the Holy Spirit. Everywhere we go now, the presence of God is also there. But I got to caution us just for a moment, okay? That sometimes we can take this truth and run with it in a way that maybe we weren't intended to. You see, if I ask someone, when do you pray? And they say back to me, well, you know, I just pray throughout my day because God's always with me everywhere I go. And I say, yes, absolutely. That's true. Amen. I'm with you on that. It's good stuff. But in the midst of that, we must also not forget that even in the midst of knowing that this is true, that he is always present with us. That, we, that doesn't mean we don't schedule meaningful and purposeful times to spend with him in prayer. We don't schedule time that's purposeful just to be with our Father. You see, one thing we see about Jesus is that he often made time for this. In the book of, I believe it's Matthew, I have it up here in. Luke, Luke chapter 5, verse 16. It says, now Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You see, Jesus more than anyone knew his Father's presence continually, and yet he knew that spending quality, uninterrupted time with his father was also something that he needed. And while Jehovah Shammah was the name of a city of God's restored people in the book of Ezekiel, we see echoes of it all throughout the text. We see echoes of it in Revelation chapter 21. At the very end of the book, it appears again, this idea that God is there. And the promise for us, too, is in Jesus. That no matter where you are, what you're doing, whether you recognize it in that moment or not, he is Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. And I think this is difficult for us sometimes to get our minds around. Um, I know sometimes it's difficult for me. Because we're easily distracted, right? Um, many of us have probably got distracted in the last five minutes at something, right? We're easily distracted, and often we get so focused on the tasks at hand throughout the week. But what, 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 and that's okay, and that happens sometimes. But what would it look like to take time throughout the day and just think that, you know, God's here. The Lord is there. Jehovah Shema right here with me. You see, I often think we make places in our minds where we think God shows up, where he is present. You see, sometimes it's a church service, and we go to church, and we think to ourselves, oh, God's here. I, I know he's here. I just really feel him here. I, I, as a kid in the Catholic church, I, I taught that God resided in his house, which was the church building. That's what I was taught. And so the minute I entered, you know, I got to put some cool water over my face, right, and uh, kind of bless, you know, cleanse myself a little bit. But I, I just thought to myself, okay, now I'm in God's presence. Now God's here. Now God's all around me. 
You see, maybe when you went to that weekend retreat, or maybe when you went to that camp service, or maybe when you enjoyed a powerful worship moment, you really identified God's presence there, and you sensed it, and that's great. The problem is when we try to limit His presence to just those times, and to just those moments when God is more present than we think. God is more with us throughout our week than we realize. You see, when we act like we have to be at an altar or a church building or a conference or something like that in order to experience his present presence, sorry, nothing is further from the truth. Nothing's further from the truth. I remember years back, I was speaking at a youth camp, and uh, I'd gone out there, and I met with the leadership, and we were talking about what we wanted to see happen throughout the weekend, or the week, it was a week-long thing. And I remember each time, they were bugging me to, or asking me, asking me quite often to have the leaders pray for the students in a certain way, okay? And I found myself just growing like, uh, hmm, they, they really seem to want this to happen. I wonder why that is, right? And they, they, they kept wanting me to do that, and they were telling me we're going to play these songs, and these songs go along with it, and uh, we should pray for them in this way tonight. And I started to get concerned quite quickly by how attached to this model of prayer that they seemed to be, or how they simply were seeking this experience throughout that week. And I, you know, I got concerned with that. So whether this was in my wisdom or my rebellion, you, you pick either way works, okay? I definitely had us pray for the students that week, but I purposely chose to try new methods and try new ways in which we could pray for the students that week. And for some, I think some truly think we missed something. Like we missed God's presence or something like that by not doing what it was that they had experienced before. And I think for some of us, it's easy for us to just get used to those old experiences that we had with God. I think sometimes we are so prone to forget that no matter what the form is, no matter what the model is, no matter how we pray, no matter what we sing, no matter what we do, that He is Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there among us. You see, sometimes in the way we pray, I think we act as though God is distant and somewhere else. And don't get me wrong, because sometimes, you know, we all have bad weeks and days, and we all experience difficult times. I'm not minimizing anything like that, where it feels like God's really far away. I think we've all kind of walked through those seasons, and we know what that feels like. But in those times, I think we've got to trust by faith all the more that He is Jehovah Shammah. But sometimes I think I hear us pray things like this, like, God, we invite your presence here today. Or we ask you in your presence to come upon us right now in this service. And I used to do this, but then it kind of hit me one day that whether I recognize it or not, that he is here, that God is with me, that God is with us, whether we feel it or not, he is present. And so rather than pray and asking him to show up, maybe it's more appropriate to thank him that he's always here, and that he's always among us, and that he's always present. He is Jehovah Shema. And what a comfort that is to me. I don't know about you, but maybe someone here today just needs to hear that God isn't somewhere else today with better weather, okay? Even though you think you might be, okay? But God isn't, okay? God's not somewhere else with nicer people or with more well-behaved people or with better buildings, etc., etc. But He's always with us. He's always present 
Just as Jehovah Shammah says, the Lord is there. The Lord is here with us. You know, I think of Christmas. I don't want to cut the grass too much on that yet, okay? Because we're, we're getting there soon. But in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, we read the words, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. I'm going to move on to a different name and uh, spend a little bit of time on a couple more. Let's look at another name of God today. The next name we're going to look at is this name El Shaddai. Say Shaddai. It means mighty. It means God Almighty. Uh, the most common interpretation of Shaddai is mighty, and so the translation would be God Almighty. Some interpret Shaddai as sufficient, and so God is the all-sufficient one, and he's more than sufficient to meet any of our needs. He takes our weaknesses, he takes our inadequacies, and in his sufficiency, uses them for his great and powerful purposes. And so where do we find this name? Well, we find it in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1, um, when Abraham spoke to God. We find it in that verse. Abraham is about to go out and uh, do all sorts of things, and God gives him promise that he's going to be with him. Now, the verse got a little cut off on this slide, but it says, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. In John chapter 1, verse 3, we read this, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that had been made. And we look at Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 4, and it says, For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. And so El Shaddai is this idea. It's not an idea. It's this truth that God is all-powerful, that he is all-sufficient, that, you know, we may build things ourselves, but God is the builder of everything. You see, in Scripture sometimes, I think we come upon times where we have what I call these little divine tensions. And uh, we actually sang about one of them in one of the songs tonight earlier. And I'll illustrate with that. But Jesus, some of us like to look at Jesus as like the lion, right? And uh, we look at God as like the lion, right? And uh, Scripture points to that, and Scripture leads us in that direction. But it also points to the fact that he's also the lamb, and so it's not like these two things are fighting against each other, but they are just who God is. We think of grace and truth sometimes, and we think that there's this paradox that grace is over here and truth is over here, when in reality, they're not fighting against each other, but they really work together in unison. They're just kind of in tension. And in our modern culture, I think, I think we find another tension, which really isn't tension, but in our understanding and limited ability, it can be. And that is, is that we like to speak of a God of love. And, and that's true. And we should speak of God that way. God is love. Amen? We, we should speak of God's love. We should talk about his love, talk about his grace, talk about his mercy. Those are the things that we really should be shouting. And so don't get me wrong, we should be looking at it that way. But never at the expense of forgetting that he is also almighty, sovereign, and powerful that he is all sufficient, and above all, that he is El Shaddai. He is El Shaddai. 
You see, I think we live in a culture that's very self-sufficient. Would you agree? And we like to handle our own stuff. We like to take care of our own problems. When something goes wrong, um, we, we think to ourselves, I, I, I got this. I, I, I could take care of this, right? Um, we're self-sufficient. We, we have sometimes trouble asking for help. We have sometimes trouble looking to other people. But how many of us like to take care of our own problems? Am I the only one or anyone else like that here? Okay. Um, you know, when you think about that, we hate to burden other people with our stuff. We might have to have all sorts, we might have all sorts of reasons on why we're like this. Um, we try to solve things on our own. That's just how we are in this culture. Uh, maybe sometimes it's pride that just tells us, you know, don't, don't burden others, but take care of things yourself. And this mentality, while it happens in culture, and sometimes we could be like, you know, this guy on the screen here, trying to fight that thing with a little hose, right? Um, we forget to tap into the power that's actually available out there. And sometimes we try to be self-sufficient. We try to do things all on our own. And this mentality creeps into our relationship even with God. And so when something comes up, we try to take care of it, and we work hard, and we look for solutions, and we do everything we can, and we pour our energy into it, and we pour our time into it, and we try to make sure that things are fixed, and eventually when we're not getting anywhere, and we recognize it's way too big for us, and we, we get humbled in the moment, and we realize, you know, we just can't do it, maybe sometimes we'll approach God and say something like, oh God, you know, I've done everything. I've tried everything I can in my own power, but now, you know, I'm coming to you for help which is really such a strange prayer because he's the one we should have gone to in the first place. He's the one we should go to in the first place. He's the one we should bring our needs before. He's El Shaddai, all-powerful, all-sufficient. The more we understand who God is, the more we're going to feel comfortable, I think, and confident approaching him first with anything that we have. And so why are we learning about the names of God? Well, because we need to know his name if we're going to hold it hallowed. And he is El Shaddai. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, um, I've been reading this verse quite a bit this week, and it says this. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever." and ever. Amen. To him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, whose power is at work within us. This is Al Shaddai, who can do more than we ever think we could. We could bring it before him. This is Al Shaddai, the Almighty One, the Almighty God. Finally, we're going to look at one more name tonight. Let us speak of Jehovah Shalom. Say shalom. Peace. The Lord is peace. Or maybe translated, the Lord is our peace. You see, we find this name in the book of Judges in chapter 6 and verse 24, which says, So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in the Ophrah of the Abirazites. Man, some of those titles are hard to read, right? In the Old Covenant. But in the book of Judges, Gideon and the Israelites were under attack by the Midianites. And they were being attacked physically. 
and their flocks and their harvests were being stolen from them. All their stuff was being taken from them. And they were filled with fear and distress and worry. And uh, many of them were hiding in caves trying to get away from being attacked by the Midianites. And all of a sudden, Gideon is threshing some wheat with, and God begins to talk to him and confidently declares to Gideon that he is hearing from Jehovah Shalom and called it the Lord is peace. The Lord is our peace. You see, we've all been there, haven't we? When we're concerned or worried or questioning something, and in those moments, we need to know that Jehovah Shalom is present, that the Lord is our peace. And I get that it's easier said than done sometimes, okay? Not going to try to act like I'm an expert at this, all right? I, 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 too, like to worry about things. I get anxious about things, okay? I start to ask questions. I start to, you know, sometimes, you know, get a little afraid of stuff. But yet, God, as he said in his promise to Gideon, I think he says it to us in his name, Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. And trusting God brings a richness of peace into our lives. In Isaiah 26 and verse 3, we see it like this. You, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And there's this, I, there's this truth that we, need, we can trust in a God like this. In John 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body we are called to peace and to be thankful. And I think this is good for us to consider today. Because I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that we live in a world where peace can sometimes be lacking. Anyone? Where peace is lacking. In fact, you know, just watch the news a few times this, this week, okay? And you're, you're going to understand where I'm coming from in that story if you can't understand that. And we just become aware and we quickly recognize the chaos that happens in our times. And there's a lot of reasons to be stressed, and there's a lot of reasons to, to, to worry about things, and there's a lot of reasons to question and wonder about what's happening around us. And yet, in Scripture, Gideon faced this exact same thing, and God revealed to him, I'm Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is our peace. The Lord is our peace. Even in salvation, God is our peace. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In him, we have peace in our relationship with God. What about the peace that goes even beyond our ability and human understanding sometimes? In the book of Philippians, chapter 4, we read this. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now catch this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Think about that. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. You see, I think we've all had those moments where we should be worried or we should be anxious about something. We should be feeling a whole bunch of stuff. But in the midst of that, sometimes we sense a peace that we just we can't even understand. We don't even get it. And I think this is the peace of God which transcends all understanding. I think sometimes in those moments when we find ourselves, you know, in a, in a place where we should be a lot more concerned than we're feeling, 
I think what we're experiencing is Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is our peace. And so regardless of where you are today, what would it look like to acknowledge that, you know, that with you, over you, in front of you, you can reach out and find Jehovah Shalom. That the Lord is our peace. That God has declared that. That God has given that as a promise to Gideon. And we see it just passed down throughout all the scriptures that God is our peace. And so in Luke chapter 11 and verse 2, it says, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. We have two choices. We can hold his name hallowed or we can hold it in vain. We can choose to believe who God says he is or we can choose not to. And we can acknowledge that the Lord is there or we can act as though he is absent. We can acknowledge that he's mighty and all-sufficient or we can choose to continue to put our trust in ourselves and our own self-sufficiency. We can acknowledge that even in a world where peace is noticeably absent or severely lacking, that he is Jehovah Shalom. He is our peace today.